0818-715-815. Hello, good afternoon. You are very welcome to Liveline. Katie Hannan with you until three today. And I want to go to a man now who emailed us and told us he was sad and angry. John Arnold, why are you sad and angry? Hi, Katie. Yeah, I'm, I suppose, <laughs> bewitched rather than bewildered. Yeah, today's Thursday, the, the Thursday before the All-Ireland hurling final. Before COVID, this would be, we'll be talking to this would be early September. Um, obviously, the GMA decision with this split-season model there, some years back it was delayed with COVID to bring the All-Ireland finals forward. So now we've the All-Ireland hurling final next Sunday in the middle of July, and I just... I, I'm, I'm, I, like I said in the letter, I'm, I'm, I'm sad and I'm angry. I, I'm sad that the, what was the major sporting, um, the major sporting fixture in the whole of Ireland, you know, for the whole year, in, in the first Sunday in September for the hurling and the third Sunday in September for football, and that's the way it was with the last 40, 50, 60, nearly 100 years it was for September, and now it's been literally run back into July and I know all the circumstances I know all about the split season I know Club G and the county but I just think I'm so sad that it's next Sunday now it's taking part one match above in Cork Park standalone and I'm not giving out about the media but all the media coverage this week <laughs> this is Thursday I've heard precious little I've heard them all about the hurling final yet all this week it's the, um, the, the golf in St Andrews which is huge major uh, the European Win- Women's Soccer Championship and the third test between Ireland and New Zealand and Ireland are trying to win a test series in New Zealand for the first time. So all those things have shoved the All-Ireland final completely into the background and I'm not blaming Ian off here or anything. No, but it's, but I mean, it's just, yeah, it's what's on now, yeah. And, and obviously in, in August and September, the GA really kind of could own that, that time because there wasn't an awful lot, everything else was just getting going whereas the GA would be coming to the, obviously for both the hurling and the football, you'd be uh, yeah, coming and, to the peak, and, and, the, the crescendo of the season. Yeah, they said for the two months of August and September. And, and, and again, it's just that other sports were kind of either way in the office starting, whereas now so we've had um, the Round Robin series in Munster and Leinster there in the months of April and May, when the main talk still in the media at that stage was a fair play to them, was it Liverpool or City was going to win the Premiership. That's, that was their season, that was always their season. And we always, in fairness to the media, to the printed media, to the radio, television stations, everything, we always literally had August and September. I won't say to ourselves, but we were, we were kind of the number one spot, especially in the month of September. And what makes me really angry then is when you think of the month of September and you think of children going back to school in late August and for maybe it was only a week in September for the hurling and three weeks for the football. The joy and the pleasure that national schools this week should be enduring are having in, in Offaly and Tipperary if they the minor final and, and Limerick and Kilkenny kids going in having Jersey days talking about it, singing the songs wearing the green, white and gold of Offaly or the blue and gold of Tipperary, the green, white and Limerick and um, And coming in in the colours and I know, I know that feeling, that excitement and of course, you know, if you're from uh, if you're from Kerry like myself, uh, September was always a very special month, especially from Listowel like like, yeah, like yeah, I, I mean, was because I, I like, I you, you'd win the All-Ireland, John and then you'd go to the, the races for the yeah, week afterwards to celebrate. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean after that you, you probably go to the Plowing Championship and like that's all been thrown away and look I, I understand there was um, a problem. The problem that was there over the last number of years is that club fixtures for club players all over the country <coughs> were being 
postponed it, but back a week after a draw, replay in the intercounty. So no, but and there was a problem there. I'm not denying there was a problem. Of course, there was a problem, but the solution is way worse because what we have now is you have a split season now where intercounty players get to play with their counties alone, not with their clubs alone, from January, February, March, April, May, and June and July if they get to All Ireland. Then the club season starts in late July or August, and then in August, September, October. And it's only August, September and October. You have 12 weeks for the club season now. Only 12 weeks. Why? Because the winners then of the club championships in all the counties must be ready to play in the Munster Championship, Linster Provincial Championships. Long ago, they were all heading towards a deadline of Patrick's Day, the club finals. Again, mm. the J, in their own wisdom, have that brought that forward to January. They were talking about bringing it to December. And people said in, but weren't the players under pressure? So the players that are lucky enough to play in their county are under even more pressure now because they're literally training from December with their counties for six or seven months and that's over then and they go straight to the clubs. So those players that are lucky enough to play with with inter-county teams are literally going to be playing for nine months a year now. They talk then about player burnout and they talk about that. But I mean, what really makes me sad is here we are on a glorious day in July and to think, Katie, that for the last, the month of May, the month of June and now we're heading to the end of July, We've had no club championships. We've had no club championships. The summer time when J matches should be played, it's bright till 10 o'clock at night, young fellas can be down the field, young fellas are off school, and we have decided in our wisdom, the J, that no, that'll be a close season for club championships. But then in August, September and October, young fellas gone back to school, teenagers gone back to college, kids won't be able to go down to the pitch, dark at 6 o'clock, you'll rush down to training, and that's... That's the club season. Is it? And I know, I, and I honestly, John, I really do know what you mean because it just feels strange. It just feels, it just doesn't sit right to think that I, 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 there'll be an All Ireland hurling final on Sunday and the, and the football the week yeah, after. And, and like Katie, from a promotion point of view, the All Ireland final and the All Ireland Sunday hurling football, it wasn't just a Sunday. There was the build up on the Friday, the Saturday, and the Sunday. You had the minor match first and you had the senior match. And then the craziness, the logic, the the absolutely stupid logic they'd reduced the minor age <coughs> from 18 to 17 a few years ago and then the J said oh gee it be too much pressure now to have lads of 16 or 17 playing before a big crowd in Cork Park so we decouple we take the minor finals out there was 20,000 at the minor final between Affley and Tipperary below Norland Park wasn't that as much pressure for the young fellas as it would be playing in Cork Park and I like, do think but, as well but, though for those players like the thrill of, uh, of playing before 80,000 uh, people yeah, in and, Cork and, and, Park you're never like, going to like, you're never uh, going to get that again maybe uh, in your whole I life I think the thrill of playing well you'll never get 80,000 for a minor final you might get 40 but the thrill of playing a minor final in Cork Park is just something that cannot be replicated and any young buyer girl that's four or five or six from the minute they put on a club jersey and the minute they see people wear a county jersey that's what they want and people said to me someone said actually they'll get a chance to play in the senior as well I suppose a quarter of the people yeah. that ever get to play in a minor final ever get yeah, to play senior there again three quarters of them don't that's just the way it is with the J but I mean Can I ask you though John how uh, like you're obviously an avid, avid, avid uh, GA fan. Uh, would you be both called hurling and football? Oh, yeah, the, the part of we're in East Cork here would be predominantly a hurling area. <clears throat> We've had success at football as well, our own club won the East Cork Championship last year, but say West Cork would be more football, East Cork and North Cork would be more hurling. And how, I mean, how look, many All-Irelands would you have, have been to in your in your time? Yeah, I started in 72, so that's 50 years ago, so there's been 106 All-Irelands since, and I've missed seven, yeah. Only seven out of yeah, 106. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, but look, other people go on fat and holidays, other people go to races, other people go to different well, things. Well, of course, the, the, but the holidays, John, is the big thing now because so many people will be out of the country uh, at this time where they would never, you know, people who would always have taken their holidays in July yeah, would be gone and, now for, and, for this whole the, this whole build up and, and, and run yeah, and, into and, the two, and the the two big days. It, which wasn't well thought out at the time. <clears throat> the months of June and July and early August, you, anybody, and I'm talking about the refugee crisis, you try and get accommodation in our capital city of Dublin in June, it's booked out because it's prime tourist season, especially now when COVID is over. And you try, even if I wanted to go to Dublin next Saturday night and stay there, yeah, I could pay four or five hundred euro. So families can't do that. But, but I mean, what did they themselves have done to the day? We were often in Club Park, you'd be there at the hotel at half nine in the morning, the gates are open at half eleven, you're getting ready for the minor match at half one, and you had an hour in between. No, just a one single match on Sunday. It was only like a league match. No build-up, absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. And, I mean, and, 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 and what annoys me and maddens me then is it wasn't the Sports Council or the EU or RTE or somebody, the government made the J do this. This was a self-inflicted wound that the J have brought upon themselves. And I mean, the promotional can, can, yeah. value. We spoke about this. Can, can, can I just, John, can you, I... Can, you, you, you couldn't buy... You I know you're passionate about this, John. Can I put the be a devil's advocate here and put you, you know, for years we were listening to, uh, you know, people uh, complaining about what we were just at the club, the club game, that it was denigrated and that everything was thrown in and everything was put behind the championship because it was the big marquee events. Uh, and actually the life and soul of the GAA is actually the club game and that this is about finally putting that front and centre. Argument anybody ever put forward. You mightn't be from a J background. We're supposed to put the club right, left, and centre. How do we do that? We ban them from playing in May, June, and July, and we shove them back to September and October. How is that putting the club centre? That's not putting the club centre. That's putting them in the halfpenny place. Three percent of people that ever play hurling or football get to play with their county. Three percent, ninety-seven percent of club players. So we give the three percent now are entitled to a full. January, February, March, April, May, June and July if they get to Ireland. That's for the 3%. And the rest are banned from playing championship during that piece. No championships during that. And the 97% then, when the Ireland's are over now in August, take every club here in Cork. Now, Cork is an anomaly because it's a now, huge Now, I was county. going to say, so Cork has probably more clubs. It definitely has more yes, clubs and, than and any other county, an anomaly, right? But it's the county I know best. Say, for instance, we're playing senior championship now. So we've two games in a week in the end of July, start of August. Two games in a week. If we lose those two games... Good night, Aureen. Our season is over. If we lose those two games, That's we've it. been waiting the whole year. And if we lose those two games, we have a third game after that. You're only playing for promotion or relegation. So in other words, you wait the whole year long when everything else. And if you have two games in successive weekends, and if you're unlucky enough to lose them, good night, Irene. How is that promoting hurling and football? Now, I said initially, of course there were problems with players, say, at the start of the year, they want to go on holidays, they want to get married, they want to do different things, and they don't know when club fixtures will be on, and club fixtures will put on and put off, mm-hmm. and now at the moment they think, well, now they know they can get married, and they can go on holidays in May, June, July, because there'll be nothing on. But the point is, surely, be to God, we could have a kind of a dual system where you could work the inter-county and the club. Of course it would be difficult. And of course it would take a bit of working out. But God knows the system that we have now introduced is a disaster. But from, from the promotional point of view, which is one thing, from the general public, but also that now the club season is shoved, shoved, 
shoved into the autumn, shoved into the autumn, and every club has young fellows playing that are in third level college. They'll be all going back to school now in September and October when the club season will be really okay. in full swing. John, so ha- what we have now is the worst of both worlds, in okay. my opinion. Will you hang on there, John? We're getting a lot of calls in on this. I want to re- bring in uh, Shawnee now. Shawnee, good afternoon. Hello, Cassie, how are you? I'm good. What do you make that of the split man, season? That man hit the nail in the head there. I was just uh, thinking about it the other day. Uh, the college lads, will, they'll be gone back before the clubs will be starting. And they'll be trying to... Their parents are going to suffer. They're going to be have to bring them home from college for training two, two evenings a week. But these are the they'll people we to, were told this was all to be... This was supporting these no. very people. I, I, like, what, does anyone out there agree with this? Text us in 51551. I, I'd love to hear somebody, uh, you know, who uh, with a passionate argument in favour of this uh, because I can hear... Uh, John, you're making very good arguments against it, and, and Shawnee, you, you, you're the same. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I see, and like that man said a while ago, if they're gone, they're gone after two games, they're gone. And if they go one in and be playing a final, there'll be, there'll be snow on the ball coming down for the sky a couple of days before Christmas, playing the club's finals. What I mean, what, where do you think? The, what was the thinking behind this, Shawnee? Do you think? I don't know. Like just twelve months in the year, you see. And like that man said, they're going to go again. There's all the months in the, in, in, at the first half of the year, they're all gone. And, 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 and the club players are not, they're not playing at all. Like. Yeah. And then, they, and then they, wanted, they want to rush him into it. And another thing about the, the, the senior hurling All-Irelands and, and the senior football All-Irelands. Like, fellas have to prepare themselves very fast now. Before they knew the All-Irelands, the holding all in was on the first Sunday, of, yeah, the first Sunday in September, right? Mm-hmm. They have to prepare this at now mighty fast, and they'll be gone out of it very fast, the same as I'm a temporary man myself, and the same as we were. We were gone after a couple of games. Yeah. And, you see... Yeah, but, but Johnny, will I put to you as well, like the idea that, OK, we haven't even got one year of this under our belts yet. Should we give it a chance? And people are complaining. Yeah, be- before complaining. we've even got through one season of 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 of, of this split season. But but, 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 but Katie, to, yeah. Katie, to reiterate Johnny's point, even just from a promotion. Remember next Sunday, now the seventeenth of July, and I'm speaking from the two sides, from intercounty. We'll see the All Ireland hurling final. You won't see another intercounty hurling match on any television channel until August, September, October, November, December, January, February, March. How is that promoting the national game? How, in the name of God, is that promoting the national game? We need to have it spread throughout. We are under competition from international media, from international sports, from yeah. professional sports. And hurling is more than a game. Hurling is part of our culture, our heritage. Hurling is as important to us as, as, as our music and our language and our customs. So, I mean, to, to think that you play the last intercounty game, the big people said in, and TJ Cahill is wonderful. We'll have club games on television. But the average attendance or the average viewership that you have at a club game from a promotional point of view might be between 30 and 40 and 50,000. To, to promote the Gaelic games and holding amongst people who, who are not maybe so proficient as already, you need to have the high-profile games. And, I mean, people said in, Arnold is speaking of both sides of his mouth. I want to go on the whole year. But my... The model I had proposed last year, I don't know, was it even looked at in Cork Park? I sent it into the county board. Well, you start your championships in May. Don't mind your round robin. You have a back door. You run them through till September. That's 20 weeks inter-county. And during that 20 weeks, you have, say, three or four 
one or two week breaks where you play rounds of the club championship. Why wouldn't it work? Because the inter-county managers wouldn't have it. The inter-county managers would laugh at this. Oh, Jesus, no, once we have the players, once we get the players in December, we, want them, we don't want anybody interfering with them and they're penalty factory players. But at least my proposal, OK, it would need tweaking. You have dual counties. You have counties with uh, some fellas play hurling and football, some don't. But at least you'd be guaranteed you'd have some club championship mm-hmm. games in May and June and you would have also yeah, yeah. inter-county games in the month of August and September as we always had. We're throwing, we're flushing September down the drain now and it was built it, up it, over it, literally 100 years, you know? Yeah, I know. And it, but there's, and there's the other side of it as well, of course, because now it we launch the championship season in April and May when, you know, the the other competing codes, uh, football, uh, premiership, rugby, yeah. European Cup, um, the other, the, what's the other rugby one? The 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 URC, the United Rugby. Yeah. They're yeah. all reaching their peak. So you've got this this kind of sluggish start to the, uh, to the championship season when yeah, everything yeah, because, else is, I mean, is you know fighting for that. John yeah. Conlon, that outstanding holder from Clare, he's a teacher, and it was the morning after he was on RT, the morning after Clare Car- beat Cork. And John was gushing and he was saying, you know, it was marvellous. They build up in the schools now and they were all talking about it. Like, that was in the month of May. He was saying, it was marvellous. You know, the interest in the schools. And like, now when we come to the Zenith, the important, the Ireland semi-finals and finals, where are the schools? National schools, secondary schools, they all are closed. Closed. Mm. And I mean, it was part of our tradition and culture and we were so lucky that teachers helped us and like, to be able to win. I mean, I'd, I, I, I'd love to be going up the road now singing Limerick, you're a lady. I've gone up the road singing the Rose of Moonkind into Kilkenny, even though I'm a proud cockman. I'd love to be doing that. And that's all part of tradition. Yeah. And we're just firing that all out with a model. You mentioned a while ago, this is only the first year, but can't we wait till see mm. how it pans out after the next couple of years? I mean, the pundits are saying, what, we should shove the All-Irelands back a bit and, and squeeze the clubs even more. I went to the Tottenham having all Ireland in September and a club championship during the year. People said that didn't work. It was it can be tweaked. Of course, there's tweaking, and there's, I'm not saying we should just, run uh, all uh, our club it, championships off in May. Is, the, pro- is the problem though, John? Uh, let me bring in somebody. Uh, just hang on there, John. I know okay, you've plenty okay. more to be saying, but I want to bring a few more voices into this. But I just like, are we doing? It, is is one of the problems with the GA is the amount of tweaking? Well, not just with this, but with all you know the rules in general. Uh, jo- Joanna, go- good afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon, um, Casey. How are you? Good. Um, I'd have to, I suppose, I'd have to come up on the other side to these gentlemen where they do make very good points. And I'm a big GA woman myself. Um, but I, I think what the GA are trying to do, trying to do at least, is put the players first. Uh, player focused rather than, I suppose, on well, you, you, whether you, sorry, or Joanne, the year. Joanne, yeah. I only realise who I have, who I have now. You, you're. Uh, Former player yourself, of course, until I am, I yeah, am with Galway, yeah. I am indeed. I am indeed. Um, but I, I know that the two lads are saying there, you know, the club season there, and there'd be young people going back to college in September. You know, I'm not sure that's a massive point because the All Irelands being in September anyway, traditionally, they were always going back to college this time of the year. I mean, the club season only got going in earnest after the. Uh, after the All-Ireland series is finished and going right through Christmas and back into March. So I'd say the, the, the GAA are trying to streamline it. That's not clearly what's, what's happening. They're trying to streamline it. You had... Um, but what, will you address... Champions. Sorry, Joanna, just just explain, like, when John says, like, this is actually the worst of both worlds, uh, particularly for the club players, like, how would you how would you respond to that? I I still think that 
the fact that the GEA have been, or the people in the GEA have been calling for this, the split season for years. So we really do have to give it a good go. We have to, it's a new format. Um, we have to adjust to it, uh, spectators and players and everyone involved in training, management, coaching. Um, so that that would be my answer to that. But um, I know club players so for years have been disillusioned. They absolutely have been disillusioned. They, they can plan nothing, as their callers alluded to there. They can plan nothing. They have their you know games built up for this match and then it's put back because of a replay with County. And also the County players get to train with their clubs and, you know, specifically with their clubs. And that that's good for morale for any club player that is maybe one or two county players or more even in, in a lot of cases playing with them. Um, I, I understand. I understand your other callers' frustrations. Yeah. I do. I, and some of them are very do, good points. Would you agree with like that sense of it just feels strange, doesn't it? It just doesn't sit right somehow. The idea of, of, of uh, a football final or a hurling final in July it just July I, I understand yeah I understand but I mean I suppose look at if this if this format is to last for 10 years it'll just become okay our championships are starting that much earlier and you know July is our season for All-Ireland and it'll just become where I know for years and years and the history of the GA is massive that you know we're used to our hurling and football championships ending at a certain time of the year but unfortunately, this has been called for. This is what the GA have decided. And as I said, mm. the other thing for I want point yeah. I wanted to make about the club All Ireland, and you know, like that was historically going into St Patrick's Day, and the players there they were finishing their if they were lucky enough to be involved in the All Ireland series in the finals, they were going straight back into their club. They were training all through Christmas. Uh, had big matches. You know, at that time of the year, and then the All Ireland final in March, and then if they were lucky enough to be involved in county panels, they were going straight back into county, or maybe there'd be rounds of clubs starting again. So, I know your John, there your first caller was saying that it's you know they're they're going straight back to yeah. back again with this system, but that's pretty much what they were doing. The ones that were in the final stages of both competitions as well. Yeah, but 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 John's point is this is not solving that problem. This yeah, is not. If that's if that was the problem, this is not the. This is, if that was the question, this is not the answer. Yeah, the only thing I would say, I would still say, it's better for players or counties that have clubs with club players, and that the, the county players can dedicate their true time to, as we know how demanding it is, um, for county players, and then when county is finished, that they can go back to their clubs and they're not dipping in and out or turn up training right. and not being able to train um, okay. or, you know, missing different matches okay. that they are able to dedicate their full time then to their club. Joanne, will you hang on hang on for me? Because uh, I love having somebody who actually is, you know, ha- has been at the coalface and has played, you know, has played and understands that, that, that tension and push and pull between, uh, you know, club and county. Uh, I want to bring in Pat, who I, I think might agree with you. Pat, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? Yeah. Uh, which side of this would you be on now? Yeah, well, I, I'm very much on the side of the new arrangement. Um, really? Like, I think, yeah. I think with any arrangement, it's new and we have to give it a trial. Uh, for years, from the club perspective, we were always kind of critical of the fact that club players were being squeezed into the latter part of the year, playing county championships in adverse weather. And as your previous speaker said, if they were successful enough to progress in their club championships, even all the way to county finals and on to provincial club championships, 
invariably they were playing in mud and certain conditions that were not conducive to good holding of football. And like your previous speaker said there, you know, it doesn't feel right, it doesn't sit right. Mm -hmm. And it's a change. And like with any change, you have to adjust to it. Like, I think we're now playing our inter-county games in, you know, the, at the best weather. The conditions of the pitches are immaculate. So oh, but your August I, I and September is as well, though, Pat, to be fair. I mean, yeah, well, it generally would be. But again, if we're talking about the club players, like the club players are entitled to the same good conditions for their playing their sport. And if you're playing those in November and December, as happened previously, they are not the conditions where you can promote the uh, club matches on, you know? But I wonder, you know, is there a sense as well that people are particularly upset by this because there's this huge feeling of wanting everything to go back to normal after the, you know, the couple of years of upset and distress with COVID that we've had. And for this to come along this year of all years, I know it was delayed because of, of the COVID, but it just feels even more, you know, I think people are more discombobulated by it. Yeah, you're possibly right, you know. But again, I would say that we probably need to have a small bit of a change of mindset here, you know. I, I, I personally see no um, uh, no particular disadvantage in playing the All-Ireland Finals, you know, in mid-July, late July or early August. I suppose I'm involved myself here in the Dare Football Club, the Dare GA, mm-hmm. and we're fortunate as well as that our county team are very successful at the moment. Well, indeed. So, you know, we're trying to manage even club players that are also involved in our own run. Connolly and Dixon Hannon are involved with the, with the, with the county, county team. So, you know, there is, there is a compromise. We've already started our club championship and we've done so without Ronan Connolly, who's very much part of our team. So, okay. I mean, like yeah. any new arrangement where you have club and where you have county, there's going to be some bit of compromise. We've already but can you honestly to- say, sorry, Pat, to cut across you, but can you honestly say that there is the same level of excitement in Limerick this week? And I know there's obviously going to, there is huge excitement, I'm sure. But that there would be in, if we were doing this at the traditional time when the kids were back at school and that whole, you know, that whole national conversation was completely engaged around the All-Ireland. Yeah. Well, look, I suppose, uh, being from Limerick, we're, we, you know, we're in a very unique situation at the moment. We're not used to being involved in so many All-Irelands. I think it's our fourth All-Ireland in five years. So we're just soaking it up and, you know, bring it on. It was middle of December, you know, which we did play an All-Ireland final two years ago. We just love what's happening at the moment. So I'm probably not the best person to ask in that. <laughs> right, OK, you fair know, enough, fair we, enough. That's a bit of know, honesty there, Pat. Thanks well, for that. Well, yeah, like, you know, any time you're in All-Ireland final, or you're playing in July or September, like, you just soak it up, as I say, bring it on. I, I still don't see the argument that an All-Ireland final is better uh, from an atmosphere uh, and from a build-up point of view in September than it would be in July. I see no rationale for that. I think it's purely a mindset thing. Is uh, it a rural thing, though, Pat, that people, you know, you get through the, the season, you get the hay in or the silage, the second cut of silage in, and uh, it's the har- end of the harvest time, and this is your reward. You have the, you have the ploughing and you have the, the All-Irelands, and that's, that's the way that the, a lot of people would have kind of measured out their, their year. Yeah, maybe traditionally it was, you know, there was that little bit in it. But, you know, the vast majority of people who are involved in the GA at the moment, the vast majority of supporters, like, you know, uh, 
you know, they just want their county to get to a final, you know. And as I say, I don't think the idea of it being September is ingrained in their mind anymore. Oh, okay. Look, like it's, it's, it's a new venture by the GA, and God knows I would be critical of the GA myself at times. But I think it's well worth supporting yeah, it okay. for the moment. Give it a chance, you like saying. any compromise, yeah. there's a change involved. Let's change our mindset and just enjoy the game okay. when they are played at their very best. But I think from a club perspective as well, and this is my argument because I'm meaning from the club perspective, I think it's well worth supporting for the moment. And okay. from my involvement in the club, we, we certainly are willing to give it a try and we would be supportive of it. Okay, okay. Pat, thanks for that. As I say, a lot of calls coming in on this. I'm going to go to Eamon now. Eamon, good afternoon. <coughs> good afternoon, Katie. Yeah, so uh, a very impassioned uh, support for the split season there from Pat. I, I don't. I think, they, <coughs> I think they're shooting themselves in the foot. Look, every Sunday, it's great. Even the Sunday game on a Sunday, they have hurling on the telly every Sunday for a couple of weeks, especially in Kilkenny anyway, you know, in other counties as well. It's great to be sitting down watching these matches and looking forward to a match. Now, on the 18th of July, that's it until next when? Next January. They'll bring in the roundabout winter hurling. The league will start next January. Yes. Even take Tipperary this year, they were gone in May. So, it's crazy what they're doing. And even the final this year in Crow Park... I said, there's nothing on before it. There's nothing to get into. I think it could even be mayhem on the day because people won't go in there until about three o'clock. There's no point going into Crow Park. Even if they had to prompt some kind of a concert, put the High Kings on in the concert or someone or Aslan or something to try and get people in early to be some incentive for people to go in. But you're only young fellas that are going in on the hill now. They'll go in at three o'clock. And you know they'll be up to three o'clock. Yeah. Oh, you think they'll be in the pub? Yeah, well, you know it. You know that yourself. Um. <laughs> Where else would they be? You know, and it's, 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 it's crazy. It's crazy. And another, just a, another bugbear of mine, which is never, to go to Crow Park on Sunday is 90 euro. Mm-hmm. There's no, for, I'm going to Crow Park for 50 years. I remember in the old days, you go to Crow Park, all right, your ticket could be, but at least it was tiered pricing. But now, you're paying 90 euro to sit at the back of the canal end, maybe at the back of the goal, and you're going to pay the people that are lucky enough to get tickets for the, for the good tickets in the Hogan stand, they're still paying 90 euro. That pricing is crazy. It's scandalous. And Nicky Brennan said years oh. ago, there's no bad seats in Crow Park. Well, okay. I'd like to see Nicky Brennan and a few of them sitting at the back of, on the canal end at the back of the goal for 90 euro. Or would he okay. rather okay. be in the Hogan stand or the Cusick stand? Okay. Okay, Eamon, uh, we'll, we'll uh, see if we get any more commentary on that. But we'll go back to this issue of the split season, if we can, uh, for a minute. Sean, uh, Sean De Brown, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Uh, your uh, son is uh, playing for Limerick. Yeah, yeah, he's a county player, yeah. And <coughs> my son-in-law, yeah, is playing next Sunday. TJ oh, your Reed son-in-law is TJ Reid, yeah. Wow, mm-hmm. you've got a big weekend coming up. Indeed, yeah, but I suppose the real issue here at stake, I think, is simply is matching the county player and the club player. The heart of the is the club. But I suppose the real difficulties, I perceive it, is the fact that a club, a county player, they're not allowed to play with their club. They're simply, it's out of bounds, really. I know this would be a big ask of players, but I think this could be accommodated if county players were allowed to play with their clubs up to, say, two weeks before a major game. I think oh, possibly that, you know, Sean, they're never going to allow that. Like the risk yeah, of injury. You just... The injury, but, but I can assure you, anybody who, who who trains with a county team, you can get injured just as easily. The, the level of training that players go through, they could be injured just as easily playing a training as they could playing in a club game. And I think that's the really the heart of it really because the whole country, the whole clubs are held up because 
of a limited number of county players who are very lucky. It's fantastic for any county to be in an All-Ireland final or an All-Ireland semi-final. It's absolutely fantastic. The whole country, the whole system is held up until the two counties who play in the final next Sunday and Sunday week are out of the way. I think that really is difficult on other counties who simply are not fortunate to be in semi-finals or in finals. And I suppose another issue that for me would be there's such a short period between the semi-final and a final. Imagine a player that gets injured slightly they have no time to recover. And the build-up, which a lot of your, your callers have mentioned there, and I don't need to go over those, the whole aspect, I suppose, of it, it's very hard to create tradition. And the GA has had a fantastic tradition. And the first Sunday and the third Sunday in September were part of history. I'm not opposed to change, but I think we need judicious change where it suits the club players and the clubs need a little bit more assistance. I think they've been held up by the fact you're a county player and you cannot play for your club. Even people who are on the panel and an extended panel of a county team are not allowed to play with that club. I see, for example, in our club, we did a player, an excellent player, Jack Sherbert, who unfortunately got limited time with Kerry Nixon, football that he is, and was simply not allowed to play for his club. So at the end of the year, he would have played very little football. Yeah, that ten- those tensions are so, st- you know, they're, they're very, very much there. And uh, everyone has an opinion about how best to... How best to address him, Sean? But that's that's Indeed, your plan. But, I, I have yeah, to... but I, I would think we'd have a better idea when the present system is over this year, at the end of July, when the, the All Ireland Senior Football hurling are over. What we're going to have, how it's going to fare out. It's worth sort of trying it for one year, but I don't think. You don't think personally, it works. I'm willing to listen, listen to try for once, but I have the feeling some change needs to be made to accommodate. Uh, I suppose we shouldn't throw out the, the baby the with the bad water. Okay, okay, Sean, will you hang on? I need to take a break, but uh, I've got more people hanging on, so we'll continue this after these. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Our text is on 51551. Uh, we're getting a lot more uh, callers in on this. I want to go to Ray now. Ray, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Where do you stand, Ray? Sorry? Where do you stand on this? Um, I, I think it's a good idea. I think, you know, I know that the GA is built on tradition and that, but I think um, give it a try, see how it works. I know from, from my own years involved in the GA, like through involved as officers in a club and managing teams, like you might play your first round of the championship in May and June, you might play a second round, and then you might have a game again until September or October. And even when the old system was there, you were playing club championship games out in September, October, and then you were trying to rush through the Connacht Championship. Uh, and you were playing games maybe in December. So like, give it a chance and see how it works. Right. Uh, you said that, you know, it gives club players a chance to play in, in decent, in, on decent pitches and decent and, and, weather. On decent pitches, yeah. exactly. And you'll even find junior championships and intermediate championships aren't played because they don't want to play them in case a guy is, say, on a senior team and if you play a senior, well, then he can't drop down and play intermediate or, or junior. And all the championships are held up yeah. because the senior championship isn't played. And yeah. I, I don't know, I think the club players are getting the raw end of the stick and you have young fellas there training for four and five months playing no competitive games and a lot of them are getting set up and maybe going to soccer and rugby because they know they get competitive games and I, I think um, you have to look after the, the club player because without the club you won't have county teams Yeah. OK, thanks for that uh, uh, Go to John, John Magner, good afternoon Good afternoon Katie Yeah, where are you on this? Uh 
I think I would uh, be in agreement with uh, the last speaker because I think that uh, uh, you look at uh, Cork as a very traditional uh, GA county, but I mean they took tradition maybe a small bit too far in the past. I mean they opposed the opening up of Crow Park, they opposed the uh, uh, setting up of uh, the the club championships in the past, and I mean the club championships gave junior clubs, intermediate clubs, and uh, uh, senior clubs an opportunity to play in Crow Park, which they mightn't have got with inter county teams and I think like that uh, Do you think this um, is where John this is the this is the, the traditional wing that John, John our Cork man is going from something to be tried uh, this is the year 2022 and uh, uh, we have to allow the G to experiment uh, to a certain extent with changing dates of games uh, because there was a lot of complaints about uh, club players not uh, being given due consideration in the past. And I think uh, Crow Park have, uh, have um, tried out something this year. Granted, uh, be, maybe COVID was part of uh, uh, why this system is being tried out. But I mean, look, give it a few years and let's see. Uh, how it develops and what way uh, clubs, uh, players uh, will, will react uh, as well. I mean, okay, let, let, John, let, me put, let me put that to John, uh, who started off this debate with us. Uh, John Ireland, you, you, you are from Cork. Are you, are you yeah, seeing yeah, this yeah, from a, a pure right, traditionalist point of view? We must say after the club players and radio, the last speaker said, it's great to have the games in good weather. So, I mean, we're banned from playing club championships now in May, June and July. He was saying to the right to be playing in the winter. We're getting into the heart of our championships now in October and they must be finished by November. So in other words, what we're saying is inter-county players can have the best of the pitches, best of the weather. And then when it comes to the autumn, when the evenings are pulling in, then we get up to town in the club championships. So you've heaps of speakers have come on and said we want better conditions for club players. And yet they're all agreeing to a summer ban. Ray said their players are going to go away to soccer and rugby. Why wouldn't they go away if they know that their first meaningful club championship game in Cork, for instance, will be at the end of July, the next one will be a week later, and if you lose the Tobin, as I said, good night, Irene, you're gone. So people say, the second last speaker said there, you could have a championship game before in April, and another one in May, another one in July. I asked somebody which is the better system have two of them into one week and your championship is six days or six months but you know which I prefer to from a club official's point of view trying to keep a club going and you're just you could end up then you build up your training and literally as I said half the clubs in Cork will be gone out of their championship after one week of the championship season half but there, there is an upside though for, for some people if you want to go and see Garth Brooks in uh, Croke Park in September there's no all Ireland's getting in the way or nobody complaining about what uh, what the concert goers are going to do to the pitch. All you have for September and October is club championship games. Yeah, there'll be nothing, there'll be nothing to pitch. Yeah. If you, if I mean, you is, it, is that, there some you, suspicion though that this, that John... And, 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 and I presume when Gat Brooks will be playing in Croke Park this year, we'll have a hurling helmet in him and a, hand, a helmet and a, and a schlitter so that he'll be promoting the game, the promotion of which the GA seems to have abandoned for the month of September, you know? 
Is there any suspicion, though, among fans that uh, this, you know, there might be some commercial considerations in this, that it does yeah, free up Croke Park for, 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 you know, what they need? It's, 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 it yeah, they might as well you know, have, they have an asset there right, they need to the sweat. Right, have his, and to the men from Limerick said it there a while ago, he was talking about the championship in a day and Limerick, and he said they started and they played around without their club without their county player. That'll be the sad, sad day for the J if you go down with said the rugby model where a rugby club rears up a good young player and then he gets contracted as Munster Ireland and the club never sees him again. If we're going to go down that road that you're going to have championships played and a, a young fella who has been developed by his club and then they play around the championship and say, well, he's stuck to the county, we can't have him. What you're doing then is you're really going down a semi-professional route, you're going down a two-tier route where players will be either county players or club players That'd be very, very sad if we got on that route and I hope it never happens, you know? OK. OK, John, we have to leave that one there. I have to take a break. Uh, we'll talk to you after this. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And now to something completely different. Uh, I know that everyone has been uh, looking at the weather forecast. It looks like things are going to get hot, hot, hot here next week. They are hot, hot, hot uh, in continental Europe at the moment, uh, particularly in the western side particularly around Spain and Portugal and uh, things got very hairy in uh, parts of Portugal yesterday with wildfires threatening uh, people's holiday homes and in particular in a part of Portugal where a lot of Irish people are holidaying at the moment. Uh, Rebecca, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, Katie. You're down in Quinta de Lago. I am. So we're um, in a place called Dunas Serradas, which is in between Quinta de Lago and Balzalobo. Right. And OK, tell us what happened yesterday. It was a bit of a crazy day. So my parents live over here and I'm only visiting. And we got a call yesterday morning from friends in Paneras Altos, which is a golf resort about four kilometres from us to say there was a fire there and could they come up to our house for, for safety? And they did. And we were we thought we were fine here, but the fire started travelling and we got a phone call then from my dad at about midday to say to, to leave the house that it was only about a kilometre and a half away from the house. So... We went down to Val de Lobo and we, we brought some tourists with us, some Irish people, it was about 40 of us, and then we had to evacuate from there. Um, when, you say, we went, sorry, so when you say there was about 40 of you, you mean that you went like on, in a in a, an entourage, like you were all travelling? In a, in a, a convoy. convoy. Yeah, so there was a few people that I'd met over here last year that I knew were from Dublin and um, they had their, their family here. So we were just trying to make sure people, there's a lot of young kids and just to make sure that people knew where to go because they were the GNR who are the Gardaí over here. They were blocking all the roads um, and I'm just trying to get people out who were the young children to make sure everybody was safe. So and was there, was there at, like, was it kind of panicky or what was the atmosphere like when you're getting people together? I, I, I guess because there were so many children, you're, you're, you're trying to stay calm, but the smoke was pretty bad around our area. So, it, it, you know, it's more, we, we knew where the fire was and, and we couldn't see the flames from, from our villas um, yet at that stage, but the smoke was really, really heavy. So it was just trying to get down to fresh air. So we headed down towards the beach area. Um, but then we were sent from there and we, we, we drove them the back roads to Quatera and that's when like the flames were all alongside us. We were driving, and they must have been like fifty foot high. So that was that was pretty scary. Oh my God! Along the side, uh, the road that you were driving along, there was fifty foot flames yeah. on either side. 
Yeah, yeah, it was on the right-hand side. So we were driving, it's, it's the Traval area, so mm. um, kind of the back of, of Valdeloba going to Quatera. And um, the fire kind of came, as I said, down from um, Quintalago and then kind of all the way down the main road into through Dunas, through Valdeloba, and just kept on going. Um, so even when we were in Quatera, which is you know, quite a distance away, all the helicopters were still there collecting water because the fire had come behind Quatera to Villa Sal, so and it just kept spreading all the way to Villa Mora. Um, but today is a lot brighter here now today, and, and while the helicopters are still going around, um, it seems it's just a bit of smoldering happening, um, but there's, as far as I know, there's no major fire outbreaks um, today. My God, well, you, I mean, it must have been quite a scary. I'm sure when you're doing it, you're just doing it, but afterwards, when you're thinking about what might have happened... Yeah, you, you have it in one. So um, I was pretty calm yesterday, and um, but it was kind of last night when I was putting my other 10-year-old, like putting him to bed. It's been, you know, and he was talking about the day that he had had, and you're trying to keep up beats for all the kids. But he did see the flames and um, obviously was aware of, of, of the smoke and knew what was happening. So he was kind of talking me through his, his day, and, and that's when it really kind of hit home. But um, thankfully today, like we're all a little bit, chesty today from all the smoke but um, you know everybody I know over here is safe and well and firefighters were amazing and everybody really kind of pulled together and and even some of the local restaurants all the staff were out dousing flames like you know people really just rode in Rebecca, I'm delighted um, to hear that everyone is safe. It sounds like such a a scary story because we know that things can go horribly horribly wrong Um, Your parents' house is that is it okay? Yeah, it's fine, thank you. So Dunas was really lucky. The fire um, kind of changed course. So it was very windy yesterday, and that's what obviously carried the fire. But the, the wind changed, and the fire changed course. So Dunas is fine. The, uh, the fire stopped about a half a kilometre away from my parents' house, and, and the kind of Dunas and the Radis Resort. So um, we're very lucky. Like we, we are surrounded by a lot of trees and, and woodland here, and, and as most of Kinta and, and Valdelobo is, but. We're very lucky and, as I said, hopefully there's not too many houses um, or people affected, you know, in the in the locality. So, um, and I haven't heard of, of any injuries yet or, you know, or, or people getting hurt. So that's the most important thing. Yeah, and, and honestly, quite extraordinary because looking at the videos online, it looks, uh, it's so dramatic, like the flames are so high, so close to people's homes and, and places. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, you know, the, the, the good thing about over here is there's irrigation systems and, and everyone has sprinklers and things in their garden. So, you know, everyone turned those on um, and that would have definitely helped um, in the different in the different houses just to dampen the ground, stop the fire spreading in. Um, but all the, the woodland areas, like it, it's really sad to see. So, um, but look, it, it, it's life, unfortunately. They haven't had a fire like, like that here in maybe 30, 35 years. Um, but hopefully now that's the end of us. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca, uh, many thanks for that. And I know we're going to go to somebody else. We'll just see if we can get them. Their line has just gone down for us there. We'll take a break for them. Thank you. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Joe Duffy. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Or text us on 51551. Uh, I want to bring in Declan now. Declan, good afternoon. Good afternoon, how are you? Good, and how are you, more to the point? You're, you're also out there in oh, Quinta de Lago. That's right, yes, yes, yeah. Uh, so it's an interesting few days. So, um, <laughs> you know, my, my daughter was out on, on uh, Tuesday night with friends. She came back and reported fires in the local area. 
Then yesterday morning when we woke up, you know, the place was covered in smoke. There were helicopters flying all over the place. You know, and we could see, you know, kind of fires burning in a lot of areas. Uh, so the area that we were in, we, we were evacuated uh, and, uh, you know, asked just to kind of remove ourselves uh, from the resort uh, for the day. Uh, which we did. And how, how was that done, yeah. Declan? Was it was it like a very emergency thing? People can come in and shouting at you to get out, get out, or was it very no, no, cool no, and organised? No, no, emergency. It was very cool, cool and organised, and it was very much precautionary. You know, uh, it is in a wooded area beside a golf course. You know, uh, and the fires were a little bit away from us. You know, but you know, this morning I actually kind of realised they were probably closer than I thought. Yeah. Uh, there was precautionary, uh, and uh, they just kind of contacted us by, by phone. You know, and that, that we should probably just evacuate. What, uh, what did you take with you? Did you did you have time to gather your things or? Not really, not really, because we pretty much expected that we would get back. Uh, and in most of the resorts around the area, people did get back last night. Uh, but in our resort, you know, the people uh, who hadn't uh, come back, they asked to stay away for the night. So we were able to secure alternative accommodation for the night. So we we're okay. Okay. Uh, but we left pretty much with what we had. Was it very, very hot there? I mean, it did, was it uncomfortably no, hot? And no, last not night? at all. No. Not at all. No, and, and one of the kind of nice things about Portugal is it's not as hot uh, and there is a nice cooling breeze but that probably didn't help the fires. Uh, but it, I don't think it's any much hotter than it is in Ireland at the moment. It's probably about 28 degrees. Right. But, uh, yeah, the breeze, of course, would have probably fl- literally fanned the flames. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and that's what happened. So it seemed to kind of jump a number of areas. So we're in Quintet Lago around another state resort called Valle de Lobo, you know, and, and some of the neighbouring restaurants, you know, were, were very close to being burnt down. I, but I think that most houses were saved. The fire came up to gardens, but they were able to prevent it reaching houses. Uh, I think the only big casualty was an equestrian centre nearby, uh, which was burnt down. Uh, but I think all the horses were saved. Right. So, have you ever seen anything like that? In oh, I don't know. Would you be a regular uh, visitor to put to? No. Portugal? Yeah, we've been coming down here for for close to twenty years, and we've never seen anything like that before. Yeah. We always hear about fires in other parts of Portugal, uh, but not in this part uh, of the Algarve. Does it, uh, does it make so, you uh, does it, it make you think about the climate emergency and where this is going? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely does. You know, so we normally you know are down in June. Uh, you know, when it's a little bit cooler. Uh, but certainly July and August seem to be much hotter. We're down because of even certs, uh, but certainly uh, you would worry about that you know, and, and coming down to these areas. Um, I just, I, I'll ask, I still have Rebecca on the line there. You do, hi. Has there been much chat about the climate emergency and, and you know, where this might all be going uh, in the wake of the fires? Yeah, a little bit. Obviously, yesterday afternoon when we were when we were sitting down, kind of all together in Cotera. But um, I, I don't know if the reports are true. I I'm, I did hear that this fire was started deliberately. I don't know how sure that is, or if that's you know to tear say. Um, so I I, so I don't know. But I think what your other um, caller is saying is because of the wind yesterday. The wind it was pretty bad, and um, for these parts, that definitely helped. Um, obviously pulled the fire um, to the lower part of the Algarve, which is scary. But with temperatures are due to increase here now next week, which is a bit of a worry. Okay, yeah. Uh, it's going to increase everywhere. We're hearing, uh, as you say, here, uh, be, uh, it possibly into record uh, temperatures here. And of course, we know there's been some extraordinary temperatures recorded across Western Europe in particular. Uh, let me bring in 
Owen. Owen, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Katie. Thanks for having me on. How are you, Owen? Not too bad, thanks. <laughs> okay. Uh, your point? Um, well, I suppose, uh, first of all, glad to hear that Declan and Rebecca are okay. Um, the, these stories are becoming more and more frequent. Um, and I think your researchers got in touch because a, a tweet that I'd written had um, kind of taken off a little bit um, to do with climate change. And I, I think one of the things that's happening now is that the impacts of climate change are becoming much more visceral for us in Ireland and Europe than they have been before. And that the trajectory that we're on, if we don't change course radically and quite quickly, uh, things are going to worsen. So in terms of drought, and wildfires, and then winter flood, flood events, etc., uh, intense storms, all of these things are becoming more and more frequent. Um, and I suppose I'm, I'm a psychologist. I'm, I'm with a group uh, within the Psychological Society of Ireland looking at the, the climate emergency. And in particular, um, some of the dilemmas or reactions that we have that I suppose are a little bit problematic. In particular, why are we so stuck? You know, that we, we can see all these happening, things happening. Uh, we, we are getting warnings uh, from the UN and the WHO about the severity of the um, kind of catastrophes that are coming towards us at, a, at an alarming rate. Um, the peril that's facing us is, is really quite staggering. And yet we are not changing our behaviour in ways in line with that emergency. So isn't that an interesting dilemma that we're faced with this incredible set of challenges and yet we're not changing our behaviours? So some of those behaviours might be things like flying in airplanes, the way we heat our homes, our diets, driving cars, all of these things that we uh, kind of have taken for granted as being normal parts of our, our lives. And certainly I grew up with these things being normal parts of, of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and the expectation being that we should just be able to do these things and it's okay. You know, there's no problem there. And yet that's painfully not true, that the, the consequences of these things and, and other parts of how the world works but are I mean, really quite serious. Do you think mm -hmm. we're at the stage where people should be saying, I'm not going uh, to take that holiday now, I'm not going abroad, I'm not... I mean, is that the, would that be a more logical approach to this or, you know, what should people be doing? on? Because I'm, I'm just thinking about yeah. the movie Don't Look Up and that it just uh, every time we yeah. talk about this, this, that movie does, if anyone has seen right. it, and so many people have, that idea that there is something that's so catastrophic, but that everyone is, is looking the other way, basically. Yeah. And in a way, that's it's partly why we're, we're not able to look at it, why it's so hard to look at it, is because it's so overwhelming. And so catastrophic. Um, it seems kind of almost apocalyptic and un unworldly in a way. Um, to your other question about um, flying or not, I think what we're missing in this discussion is a sense of social contract or social cohesion or a new social norm that would be in, lines with, in line with our national emissions reductions and targets. In, to, so that, you know, what kind of flying is okay and how much flying is okay? And we don't really have a good sense of that. So we're left with kind of absolutes where on the one hand, people are saying, well, you know, I've worked all year and I deserve to have a holiday and it's only one person and one flight. So what big a difference is that going to make? And on the other hand, you have people who are, who are saying, I'm never flying again because, oh, my Lord, look at the consequences of climate change. And neither of those positions are particularly sustainable in a way because we will need flying in some kind of way. The European um, Commission has suggested that um, we need to reduce our uh, transport by about 90% emissions from transport. 
uh, by, by 2050, which is massive. And, you know, aviation is about almost 14% of emissions from transport. So it's hard to see those emissions going down without there being an impact on how much flying people are doing. But then the question is, but, I mean, how do but, we manage that? Yeah, mm-hmm. but I was just going to say, I mean, the, the, you know, particularly flying, I think, is, is one of those that, you know, some people might just take the one flight, a, you know, once a year for the holiday they've saved up for the whole their whole year. Uh, and that's it. That's it. Whereas other people, you know, would think nothing of flying, you know, many times a year. Well, certainly pre-COVID, you know, for either business reasons, to see family or friends, you know, that there there is a huge disparity between how people fly, I think, in particular. Whereas most people, when you look at the other forms of transport, you know, a lot more people will, will uh, be sitting into their car without thinking of it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That sense of disparity is exactly the, the discussion that needs to be happening um, through government and policy in terms of shaping a sense of a social norm. So, for example, I heard uh, one, reading an article in The Guardian where one suggestion was one short haul every three years, one long haul every eight years could be a, a kind of a max. Oh, well. say, that, say that again. One short haul every three years? Three years and one long haul every five years could be considered a limit. Oh, I thought you said every um, eight years. No. Uh, every eight years, yeah. <laughs> every one eight long years. haul every eight years. Um, okay. Others have suggested I, I think people would actually be horrified at the idea of be- one long yeah. haul every eight years, yeah. one short haul every three I, years. I think what happens is people compare their life with flying now to their life without flying now, rather than comparing their life with flying now to what's happening if we don't stop uh, in terms of emissions. Yeah. And that's a, that's a psychological error, if you want, because what we're doing is we're assuming that we can keep flying and everything will be fine. Like, you know, it's, and, and we're back to those ideas of, well, it's just one flight, etc. But it's just one flight, said 77 million people every year in the EU. So when we, when we add that's it up, my next question. If, if everybody did reduce their... their their flight time to one flight. And I, I don't mean to, to, you know, put all of the climate uh, blame on people who fly, but it is a good example of, uh, you know, a habit that, that could change. If yeah. everyone just reduced to one flight, would that be okay then? If you, if you, would well, that the, be okay? I'm, I'm not a climate scientist, so I can't actually answer that question. But so I think that's the question though, isn't it? Where is the limit? Where is it? Where does it feel it's okay now? So how much flying is okay? That's the question. And the government needs to answer that in relation to our national emissions reductions. So that has to be thought about in the context of all the other emissions reductions that we're thinking of. And to your other uh, point about it being only one part, you're absolutely right. And sometimes I think this feels like a series of deficits and a series of problems that we have. When in fact, when you think about it in terms of this massive problem that's coming towards us, we actually have a ton of opportunities to do something about it. So wouldn't it be much worse if the, if the climate was heating up due to some kind of force that was completely outside of our control and there was nothing we could do about it and it was just hurtling towards us and millions of people were going to die and be displaced through drought, famine, starvation, etc., which is on the cards if we don't change direction quickly. It turns out we actually have loads of things we can do. So it yeah, depends on how you view these things. Yeah, mind you, wait, they, what's the point mm-hmm. of having loads of things that can be done if people aren't willing to do them? I'm sure people who, who have changed their lifestyle dr- dramatically and drastically, and many people have, let's acknowledge that, uh, because they do fear what, you know, what's happening to the planet and, and they, they're thinking about their children and their grandchildren. But 
they must look around them and see people who haven't changed their their lifestyle one iota and feel like this is hopeless, absolutely hopeless. You're absolutely right. People are on a, at very different points in that journey. So from my own personal point of view, about um, October time last year, I started to pay a lot more attention to this. Um, prior to that, I was I would have said I was kind of intellectually aware of climate change. If you'd asked me, do you know about climate change? I would have said, yeah. Is it a big deal? I would have said, yeah, that's fine. Are you doing anything about it? Not really. Why not? Well, you know, it's it's only one person and all of the other things that everyone says that keeps us kind of in this state of inertia and not moving forward. And I started to pay a lot more attention to it and went through some personal changes in my own life. So I'm kind of in a different place than I was then now and feeling more kind of maybe um, able to talk out loud about it. I had been kind of feeling quite guilty and a bit kind of fearful about talking about it before because I knew I wasn't doing something that I should have been or I was doing something that I shouldn't be doing that was contributing to this massive problem. So even taking small steps can be really important in kind of loosening our kind of momentum up a little bit. Um, and the fact that some people are at a different point than others is kind of a normal part of social change. So but even, look at, uh, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. you want to get, I, I think it's not just some people are, I think in people's own heads, they're very muddled about this. And I know somebody, uh, yeah. it was, uh, I think it was Colm Gannon, who's a, a reporter from uh, Mayo, uh, was tweeting about driving through the Midlands and uh, seeing a hybrid car pulling a trailer of turf and saying, <laughs> This surely is the epitome of the Irish attitude towards climate issues. You know, people think... Uh, I, I agree. Uh, yeah. And we're, we're a dose of contradictions when it comes to this stuff. And it's very hard to not feel like you're being a hypocrite in a way because everyone's life is contributing to the problem of climate change to some degree or another. You know, we're all part of the problem. Now, the, the, the flip side of that is that we can all be part of the solution and everyone's life has plenty of opportunities in it to make changes that can be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Yeah, can I go on, so, I just, because I, I think Declan is still on the line on, sorry, I just, because, you, you know, Declan, again, having come face to face with, uh, you know, something that we're told is going to be a much more frequent occurrence in, in the coming years, directly linked to climate change, which are these wildfires uh, across Europe. Do you think it has given you even a, you know, a more, a much greater perspective on how dangerous a oh, point we're at here. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I, I think so. You know, and I think that you know, like, you know, thankfully where we are, you know, it, it doesn't suffer the extreme heat uh, of other places. So we're 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 still blessed. But you know, you can see just the, the ferocity of, of the of the fires and the impact that it's having. You know, and uh, certainly, you know, when you know when when I uh, involved in, in business travel, you know, and you know, we have cut that right down to the bone as well. So we are seeing huge. Reduction, you know, in, in flights from, from a business travel do, perspective. Do you think about uh, flying differently you know, now, Declan, than you would have oh, a few years have, ago? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, and I think like you know that's COVID brought on, you know, because you've realised that you know not only you know uh, is there an environmental benefit to not flying, but actually you, you don't need to, you know, yeah. because there's other technology uh, that allow you to 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 meet in other ways, you know, but also you know uh, all businesses have a responsibility to behave sustainably as well. You know, and then cutting down on, on emissions and flights is, is a key part of that. Yeah. Uh, let me just ask Rebecca if I still have you. Rebecca, again, I'll ask you the same question. Having come face to face with that fire yesterday, uh, you know. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, you know, what Jacqueline said, you hear about fires in other parts of Portugal in the past, but it's never been in this area. So, of course, it makes you sit up and think. And it's, 
obviously everybody has their own personal responsibility um, to make change in their own lives. And yeah, it's like travel is one of us. But also the same with business, you know, you can do so much we learned from COVID over the likes of Zoom, for example. So my, my personally, my, my business travels cut down dramatically. And I think that just everyone, they, everyone just makes some small changes um, and it's like travelling in London. Yeah. Um, but definitely you think... It, it, the experience you've had, because I think a lot of this is you hear about what happens because a lot of the worst yeah. of this is happening to, to, to people in poorer countries and in, you know, the developing world. They are getting the brunt of decisions and lifestyle uh, patterns that we in this part of the, the world are responsible for. So, you know, it's not always that you come face to face with the worst, you know, uh, impacts of this. But you did yeah, yesterday. Look, we did. And, and yesterday was very scary. Um, and, you know, we are very lucky in Ireland, I guess, with, with the climate we have. But it's seeing it happening somewhere else in the world. If, if everyone was in the situation and literally saw what we saw yesterday, um, I think it would make anybody sit up and take notice um, about what's happening around the world with climate. Yeah. Owen? Uh, it's, it's lovely to hear the um, recognition of, of climate being talked about in this because sometimes these things get talked about as kind of natural disasters, you know, wildfires as if they just happen. So I think we're starting to join the dots between the production of greenhouse gas emissions uh, into the atmosphere and some of these uh, extreme events that are increasing in, in ferocity, etc. Um, w- one of the things that's so important and uh, it's something that um, I think is happening more, but struggles is people talking about the issue of climate change. There's been a bit of a veil of silence around it, almost like it's the you know it's a great subject to stop everyone talking. If you want to to clear a room, bring up climate change. Yeah, people feel uh, bad. <laughs> people feel bad. They feel overwhelmed. They feel mm-hmm. confused. There's a lack of coherence and direction about how we should be behaving. There's a lack of um, clarity from the government, maybe about the urgency of this. If we think back to COVID and how clear the communication was and what was required of us to get through it as a community and compare that now to climate change, uh, there's a world of difference. So it's almost like we need to bring that sense of clarity and communication to people's lives um, so that we can make the changes we need to create a livable future. You know, and it's not, you know, a vested interest group here that's talking. This is all of us. It's the whole, the whole thing. Okay. Uh, depending on this. Okay, Owen, many, many thanks for that. And thanks to Declan and Rebecca. And I'm so glad uh, you came out of yesterday safely. Uh, we'll take a break. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Now, just before uh, we leave the programme, I want to get to this uh, because it's a really completely different topic from what we've been speaking about there. But a very um, distressing incident at Connolly Station yesterday. Uh, Declan, good afternoon. Yes, hello, Katie. No, it actually happened, Katie. On Friday, it was last Friday. Friday. Yeah, yeah, sorry, Declan. Yeah. Yeah. Explain what happened. Time. Okay, mm. well, I was, I was in the station about a quarter to ten. I was waiting for a train to the Maynooth at 10.14, and at some stage, these about 10 young guys, maybe between 12 and 15, in black sort of clothing, came on the scene. And I knew there were trouble from, from the word go. Um, now, they didn't do anything at that point. They were boisterous, rowdy, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, sometime later, 
um, I heard one of them shout, Malahide train. Now, as I told you, a researcher about this, they obviously knew that some, this young chap of about 14 was on the Malahide train. And dark trains are long, as you probably know. And anyway, the train came in, and I saw what I reckon was the ringleader. I could see a, a hammer hanging out of his pocket, out of his, his trouser pocket. And like a hammer like you'd use for... Yes, a small hammer that you yeah. use to just anything, yeah. you know, a yeah. normal sort of hammer. And they ran towards the front of the train. There was, there was a carriage on the front of the train. And now at this stage, I was about 50 yards and maybe a bit more away from. So I didn't actually see what happened. But there was a commotion. And this sort of ringleader, we'll say, came out of the train with one of these new bikes. You know, the small sort of uh, bikes that are like scooters. Yeah. So that obviously was the, was the, was the plan. And they all scarpered. So it was a bit of a sh- shock even at the remove that I was. So I talked to the guy next to me. Then after about five minutes or so, I went up to where the, to, to the carriage that was attacked. And when I got there, there was a young chap about 14 with his head split open, blood on the ground. A brick was there. Some of the people, it was mostly women and girls, were there. And they said that, that they'd used a brick. And probably they probably used the, the hammer as well. Um, so that's, that's the kind of scene that I, that I arrived at. I, I, I asked, had an ambulance been called? And they said yes. I didn't have the presence of mind to say had the guards been called because I was in a bit of a state of shock myself seeing this young guy with blood dripping out of him when he was like 14 years of age. Um, it's a uh, shocking, shocking incident. And you, you, you believe from what you saw, as you say, the shout of the Malahide train, that they, they were, they they were knew, anticipating they this train this riding with this... was on the train yeah. with the bike. And maybe somebody on the train told them, but they already knew that that, uh, that, that this guy on the bike were there. Now, I wasn't going to ask the guy, you know, like a detective, uh, you know, what happened. I mean, the guy was too, you know... Yeah, but it's, it's a very a intimidating way. scenario for everyone, I'm sure, uh, and for everyone on that carriage, but everyone around the, the, the station as well. You well, know. absolutely. I have to commend these women and, and girls. You know, they asked, has anybody got a cloth or something? I offered... A, a hanky that I'd hardly use, but they didn't take that. But they took a, a tissue from, from from some from somebody, and they were very, you know, they showed tremendous concern for for, the, for this poor, poor, pure young fella, young you know. Fella, yeah, and, um, and just I'll just have a few uh, short statements here from Irish Rail. Uh, they confirmed that this extremely serious incident took place in Connolly Station on Friday evening. They say they're assisting the Gardaí from Store Street with their investigation. We have given them the CCTV. I was going to just say that there must be CCTV yeah. on the, on the yeah. platform uh, from the station, from the train and the station. Uh, as there is a criminal investigation ongoing, it would be inappropriate to comment any further at this time. And then they say, of course, one incident of antisocial behaviour is one too many. It's all very distressing for the victim and for those who witness such events. However, they point out they are rare and the vast majority of journeys on our services occur without incident. Uh, that's all t- we have time for. Declan, many thanks for giving us that eyewitness account. Hopefully um, those uh, young men who did that attack uh, will be brought to justice. Uh, but that's all the time we have for today. Um, our broadcast coordinator today was Shane Galvin. Jamie Doyle was on sound and our producer was Shan O'Gorman. Stand by for Ray. 0818-715-815 stays open until 3.15pm or email joe at rte.ie.